1: Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: Well, I want you to know that you are in excellent company, we are, with the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament. Some people think the majority of the New Testament. He struggled with it too. And as he's writing this wonderful, passionate, yet theological letter to a group of people called the Romans. These were Christians living in the city of Rome about 2,000 years ago, not the Romans of the Roman Catholic Church. These were believers before the Roman Catholic Church ever came into existence. He loved those people dearly, and he wanted to make sure that they were grounded in salvation, knowing for sure that they would go to heaven by faith alone in Jesus Christ, which happens to be the theme of the entire book of Romans that we've been studying, Faith Alone in Jesus Christ. But you know there's a lot more than just getting fire insurance, there's also getting an intimate relationship with the Lord and having those victories moment by moment daily over those things that come into our life like temptations where we yield to those and then we suffer the consequences in this life. And so he's really addressing those issues to those folks. So really the the letter to the Romans can be divided up in about five different main categories. The first three chapters, he deals with sin, and he really hammered that. If you're new coming into our study, I encourage you to spend some time and just read carefully and prayerfully through chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, and you will really feel the, the cesspool of sin and how bad it is and what God's dealing with in our lives when we sin. But he doesn't leave us in the cesspool because he gets into Romans chapter 4 and 5. And and Paul reminds the Romans that through faith alone and not by works, they can have eternal life. And he continues to drill through that. So those of you that are maybe questioning, what is the way to go to heaven? What do I do to go to heaven if it's not by works? Again, I encourage you to go through Romans chapter 4 and 5. So he moves from sin to salvation. Now he answers the issues that we began with here a moment ago and that would be the struggles that we have once we have trusted christ as savior so we could go to a couple of extremes over this and chapter six begins with one of those extremes and i'll address that in just a moment but going back to those mountain peaks he starts out with the sin issue the salvation issue and then because this issue is so i don't want to say complicated but there's a lot involved in it. So it's not one of those we get three points in a poem and something like that. We've got to drill deep because this truth will really help you better understand that salvation is by faith alone, but also we have to live the Christian life in a way that would we'll be pleasing unto the Lord, not by the law. So in chapters 6, 7, and 8, he really opens up the third mountain peak. And here's a big word. We probably only use it sometimes in a church setting, and it's the word sanctification. I'll explain that in just a moment. But basically it means to be set apart for a purpose, being pure and holy to honor the Lord by what we do. And we know that our sanctification is divided into two parts. One is positional and the other is practical, and I'll talk about that. But he moves away from that area, and now he wants to talk in chapters 9, 10, and 11, and he speaks on, and this is beautiful, the sovereignty of God, reminding him that salvation is of the Lord, everything is of the Lord, that he is large and in charge, and he again takes a number of chapters, letting us know how sovereign he is, and why his sovereignty so much impacts our life. Frankly, those of you who have known Christians, who have gone through the most tremendous amount of affliction in their life, but they sense this inner joy that they have and they still have a, an attitude of others around them, I believe it's because they have a healthy biblical understanding of not only salvation by faith alone, which gives them the spirit of God inside of them, a better understanding of scripture, but also an accurate understanding of the sovereignty of God. So it goes from sin, salvation, sanctification to the sovereignty of God. But all of that is important because it teaches us a lot about how we live our lives, being honest and decent and all of that. But then he ends it by talking about something that's equally important, but in the proper progression, and that would be service. Because once we're saved, we're not to sit, soak, sour as a believer, saved from sin, saved from death, saved from hell, all right, saved from Satan. But we are now saved for a purpose. And so with that, he now, in the last part of the book, he talks about how we're to serve the Lord generally based upon our particular spiritual gifts. And we'll be talking about that and then how that branches out and how we reach out and touch others' lives. So I hope that you'll be with us for the entire study. And let me remind you again, the Word of God is like almost a recipe book. It's a recipe that God gives to us and how we can have the most exciting, victorious life ever as a believer in Christ. But it's like a recipe book, too, that if you use the recipe book but you leave out a recipe because you didn't turn the page and you didn't take that recipe to put into it, then it'll be a little skewed, and I don't want that to be. I want us to make sure we apply all of the Word of God, so I encourage you to get through all of that the best you can. Now, with that as our background, let's go back to what I said a moment ago. A moment ago, I told you about the word salvation and sanctification. To do that, I want to give you a timeline. So if you don't mind, open up your notes and you're going to see a couple of uh, points that are already printed in there for you. But for those that have missed this in our time before, let me review with you just a moment. There are three timelines. It would be past, present, and future. I'm going to make it that simple because God does. He uses three words in Scripture that often refers to the timeline of those three points, past, present, and future. But each one of those words also relate to the issue of sin in our life as well. So let's go over those for just a moment, and you'll see that in front of you. The first is what we call, if you don't mind, very simple here. It's what we've done in the past. And so we look at that and we call that justification. That's something that's happened in our past. We've been justified, been declared righteous. And so we are now completely justified by God, who makes us justified when we place our faith in Christ. What that means is that we have been delivered from, watch this, the penalty of sin. So for new again, the penalty of sin means that we were born with a sin nature, so we're underneath the penalty because we sin, watch this, we will now die. Die is physical death as a result of sin, way back to the garden, but also spiritual death, eternal death, because now we're separated from God because what separates us from God is sin, all right? And so when we trust Christ as Savior, what God does, he now declares you righteous. That's a one-time act. It happens immediately. It's done and over with. It's done the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. So for just a moment, let me ask you, how many of you are positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven because you placed your faith alone in Jesus Christ? Would you raise your hand? Okay then in your case, you can say, in my past, I have been justified. Now, you don't need to be justified again. You are justified once and for all. That's a one-time declaration by God. You are justified. Again, that would be chapters 4 and 5 as it opens it up there. Now, the second is the term sanctification. We talked about that a moment ago. Sanctification is something that happens in the present. And in a sense, as long as we're on planet Earth and we're still alive, we're going to refer to that as the present. We're going to look to the future when we die, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So the present for us is from the time we trusted Christ as Savior until the time we die. We are living in this present state of being sanctified. Now, again, two truths. One truth is, positionally, I am already declared righteous, and I'm made perfect. I am already fully, completely sanctified by God. He sees me already perfect. Second, practically, though, I still struggle with doing the things that I'm ashamed of, and you're ashamed of, things that we would like to overcome and be better in. And you know what they would be in you and what they would be in me. All right, that being the case, positionally, I'm already positioned in heaven, so to speak. Practically, I'm still living on the nasty earth, doing nasty things, but I'm still justified with a home in heaven. So in the present, I struggle with, here it is, living practically what my position already is. Did you catch that? I want to live practically now what my position in Christ already is. The Lord didn't, um, how can I say this? The Lord delivered me from sin, not to sin. All right? So I have that now in my life. So I'm now released from, here it is, the power of sin. And that's what I'm going to be spending our time on this week and the weeks to come because sin, even though we have trusted Christ, still has power in our life. I will explain that in a moment. So it is still there. I don't have to say much because all of us know that there are times that we do the things that we don't want to do. So even as a Christian, positionally we're perfect. Positionally we have a home in heaven. Nothing will change that. But practically we deal with the same issues that the world has. Watch my smile. But we have the power of Christ in us that is more powerful than Satan and sin. Now, that's in the present. Now as I go to the future. The future is from the time we die. That's future. That's the word glorification. In the past, justification. In the present, sanctification. And that's a process we're going through. In the future, it's glorification. Now what happens, watch again, justification, I'm saved from the penalty of sin. No longer will I be separated from God for eternity. That's death. That's the penalty for sin. In the present, I am now being set free from the power of sin. It doesn't mean I'll be sinless, but it does mean that I now have the power to sin less, all right, in the future, now that deals with sin, because when I'm glorified, I will be with the Lord in heaven, and we know that no sin can enter into heaven, Revelation 21:27). so I'm delivered from the penalty of sin, I'm being delivered now from the power of sin, and I will be delivered from the presence of sin in the future, Now, some of you felt like you came to church to learn how to be happy and get along with your neighbor who's got a barking dog. I get all of that. But I really want you to know the reason we come to church is to really understand God and all of his entity to show you how great and wonderful our God is and how to live this life before him. Now, with that in mind, I'd like you to understand that in order to get the truths that we're talking about, you're going to find that in Scripture, often, in many places, not just one, it builds upon an understanding of Scripture in the following way. First of all, the information is given to us because we can't act on information unless we believe information to be true. And we can't believe it to be true until we know that information. So the process of us to change is We have to know it, we have to believe it, and then we have to behave, all right? And so if you'll notice in your notes, I put down here you have to know it, you have to believe it, and you have to act on it. Today we're going to talk about all three, the first more quickly, and we'll park on the last at the end. Also in your notes you're going to find that there are three biblical words that you'll find if you have a good literal translation of scripture. And you're going to find the words know, consider, and present. Those three words still fit the same train of thinking. In order for us to grow in the Lord, we have to know the information, and so we get the knowing part. Once we do, we have to consider it, and the word consider means to believe it to be true. But then we move to the third level, which is we have to present ourselves, and I'll talk about that more today than other times. So again, it's the knowing, it's the considering, And then it's the presenting. It's the knowing, the believing, and the acting. And so if you have those three, you're going to see how that it will help you through knowledge and then knowing what to believe to be true then what you do based on it to move forward in the most accurate way. Now let's pause and come up for air in just a moment. There are a lot of times you can get a lot of stuff thrown at you of what you should do and how you should do it and all of that kind of stuff. Pretty soon we could live our life just following principles but not understand why those principles were given or what is the meat behind those principles. And for some of you that are very, very new in the faith and you're coming to a church like ours, the material is in depth and um, it's uh, deep. I guess it's the same thing, but um, I, I spend more time rather than going through it with a lick and a promise. That's my style. That's the way God has wired me. With that, though, I've passionately tried to be committed to another core value, which is to make it clear. And there's always the tension between do I make it clear by dumbing it down or do I take something that is challenging and deep and try to still make sense out of it. So I've chosen not to dummy it down. I've chosen to work hard to articulate this in little bullet points and principles and and, and statements and truths so you can grab it. I've chosen to repeat myself at times, I've chosen to carry in my heart those of you that are on the outside of the faith that are really struggling with understanding this, and so you might be coming for the food. You might be coming for the wonderful fellowship. You certainly may be coming for the music, but you're sticking around for the message. Then there are those of you that are really baby Christians and just growing. I can identify with you. I did not grow up as a brand-new Christian in a, in a home. I, I was older, and all of this was so new. I, did, I thought the Bible was in alphabetical order, and I, did, I couldn't find stuff in the Bible. But you know how I learned? By constantly sitting under this. I remember what one person once said to me, a Bible teacher I had many years ago. He was led to the Lord by Billy Sunday. That's how old this guy was. He said, Stan, the more mud you sling against the wall, the more that's going to stick. And you know what that meant? That meant, Stan, the more I push myself to stay under this, I may get a little bit, but I may not get all of it, but the little bit that I get, it's going to stick. And when I come back again, a little bit more is going to stick, and a little bit more is going to stick. And then hopefully... Over time, a lot of it's going to stick and we will really have the doctrine and the theology accurately to understand Jesus Christ in his full-blown way of who he is. And that's why we spend a little bit more time. And I hope you appreciate that and stay with us because this is a great ride of us learning this. All right. With that in mind, I divided... Romans into two sections because I think it can easily divide into that I don't want to get too much into the Greek the first part of the Greek is more of a you got to understand this stuff and then the other part of the chapter talks a little bit more about what you need to do what you have to do so the first part of it I call the great details of the Christian life three of them. I don't want to imply that these are the only three great details, but they are three that are important in this section of Scripture. And personally, I believe they're foundational enough that once you have these, the others will start sticking and growing on you as you begin to learn them as far as the Christian life is concerned. So let's briefly go through those again. These are what we refer to as positional truths. They happen the moment you trust Christ. They will never change. They are with you forever and they're true. These are truths, positional truths. Number one, when I became a believer, I was placed in Christ. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was placed into Christ. Some of you might remember uh, a week or so ago, I used an illustration about a piece of paper. And I said, this is you and me. When I place my faith in Jesus Christ, letting my Bible represent Christ, I place my faith in Christ, that means that I am now fully in Christ. That truth is found over a hundred times in the New Testament so that we would understand that by placing our faith in Christ, God doesn't see my righteousness. He sees his son's righteousness, which is Christ, which is perfect, and that righteousness, not mine, no matter how much better I become, will ever get me to heaven. It's his righteousness that does it. So I am now in Christ. That becomes a positional truth. That will never change. He will never lose me, cast me out. Nothing can ever take me out of his hand, his personhood, or him. I am in Christ. Truth number one. And the verses are found in verses 3 through 5. The second positional truth is when Christ died, my old sinful self was crucified with him. Now, your old sinful self. I was born with an old sinful self. Some people would like to refer to it as a nature. It could also be that part of you that has that full-blown propensity to sin, Right, your old sinful self. When I trusted Christ, I was in Christ, and when Christ died, my old sinful self was crucified with him, put a star by that. While you may not understand all of that right now, I'm spending the weeks ahead in chapters 6, 7, and 8 to help you continue to learn what that means, to be crucified with him. Going back to the illustration, the paper in the Bible, for those of you that are listening and can't see this, the Bible, Christ, the paper, us. When Christ died, when I placed my faith in him today, I am now in Christ, meaning that I died with Christ, I was buried with Christ, and I rose with Christ, All right, meaning that I am now fully in Christ, and by what he has done, being in him, I too have died. And that means now, watch this, the penalty for sin has now been paid for. That means no longer will I be eternally separated from God. It does mean I will still physically die. Are you tracking with me so far? If you are, say, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, most of you are. Now let me divide you up into two capacities, two two parts, if I could. I'm not trying to get too heavy with you. But you have what is known as the material part of you, and you have what is known as the immaterial part of you. The material part of you is made up of your brain. It's made up of your body. It's made up of all those members. It's you. That's the, the, all of you on the outside. The touch. The physical part of you. The immaterial part of you will be your soul and your spirit. Now, some of you are questioning, this stand, is Stan, our pastor a trichotomist or a dichotomist? Does he believe in body, soul, and spirit? Yes, I do. Do you believe in a dichotomy? I do in the sense that we have the material and the immaterial. In this passage... He's talking about that our soul and spirit attached to our body, when we were unsaved, didn't trust Christ, we're separated from God under the penalty of sin, we're already going to die physically. At the same time, we're going to die spiritually and eternally. We taught you that already in earlier messages. So that all happens. When you trust Christ by placing your faith in him, you died with him. Watch that. But at the same time, when he rose again, he rose again never to die again. So your soul and spirit will never die again again. Because you've been crucified with Christ. Your body is still attached to that old sinful part of you. The old sinful self. And inside that body is your mind. And with your... And I say your we, our minds. Alright. Our minds make choices. So now we have a body. We have a mind. So now let's open that up a little bit. Are you still tracking with me? Say amen. Amen. Alright. You have what we call a mind, a will, and emotions. Alright. My mind... I get the information. My will makes me make choices based on what my mind is telling me. And that often will affect how I feel. So a lot of times, what I know will be how I think and behave based on my feelings. I'm saying that for a reason. When I am now in Christ, I believe in Jesus Christ, my soul and spirit will always have eternal life. I'll never change. My body now has the capacity to still sin. I am dead to sin because Christ died to sin, which means that no longer sin has to have victory over me, but I make choices with my mind. And that's what he's talking about here when he uses the words such as consider. He uses the word um, count. He might use the word cast or present. So these are choices with our wills of what we do between two entities, God and God. And all that God has for us and Satan and all that he has, he's wrapped up in sin and all that kind of stuff. And so now we make the choices. That's why some of you have heard of books that were titled such as The Battle for the Mind to make sure that your mind is now thinking the right thoughts based upon right information. Now I can go much further in my illustration, but that suffices it. Go back to the passage again in Romans chapter 6. So when Christ died, my old sinful self was crucified with him, my soul and spirit. My body is still around. So I do not have to continue sinning. Number three, Christ's resurrection has guaranteed my ultimate victory. So back up here again. I believed in Christ, died with Christ, I rose with Christ. Now this gets really cool. When Christ rose again from the dead, he never had to die again and said he watch this, here's a phrase He died once for all. The second part of the verse says, and now he lives and that's a continuous action unto God the Father. So he died once and he continues living. When we trusted Christ, we died in Christ one time when we placed our faith alone in him. But since we have, we now live the resurrected life. And while we could talk about resurrection in heaven and all of that, I believe it's talking more in that context that I live alive now for the Lord. Now, some of you are saying, well, I know you're alive, but you're not perfect. You're right. But I live a new life, and that's the phrase in there. I'm living a new life because Christ is alive forevermore. So you who are Christians, you have now within you a God-given capacity that you don't just have fire insurance, but you have everlasting today on earth living power so that when you sin, you can have victory over that sin and continue to grow in grace so you don't groan in disgrace. And that's this passage. We call those positional truths. Now, again, I want to talk about the three deeds of the Christian life. So, if you will, now again, open up your Bibles. This will be new material. What I just gave you is a lot of uh, maybe review for some of you. We're going to call these practical actions or practical truths. Practical meaning that based on the position we have in Christ, these are the things that we need to do. I've reduced it. I hope I have not oversimplified it, but I tried to do it for your memory and my memory, is to give you three words. They all begin with the letter C, all right? And they're all found in the context here. The first would be the word consider. So let's look, if you will, in verse 11. And that's where we're going to pick it up. We're only going to go through verse 14, and we'll be out of here. All right, verse 11 says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let's pick that verse apart a little bit. You see the phrase where it says, even so. When you see that word, even so, here's what's really going on in the context, all right? Paul just gave a boatload of truths that I've just covered with you in three points. He'd given it to him in about ten verses and previous even more than that. He said, even so, or you could say it this way, because of this truth, because of all of this being a reality, or as a result of all of the position that you have in Christ, you, the implication is you now to do need to do something with it. And so now the Greek changes into more of an action dynamic rather than a knowledge dynamic, all right? You need to have the knowledge because some people are acting on stuff that preachers will tell them to do or teachers will tell them to do that sound real good but are not based upon accurate truth. So he says, even so, all right, because of this, because this is truth, this is what you do. And he says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, now, the word consider is generally an accounting term, which you could say, now that you have this, consider it to be so, or believe it to be true, and now act upon it. So consider yourself to be dead to sin. Now, you're not dead dead. You're just dead to sin, meaning that it doesn't have to have power over you. Now, how many of you were with us a couple of weeks ago when I used this illustration? I heard a lot of feedback from you that it really helped you understand this, so let me give it back to those that are new today. Remember how I mentioned to you that uh, Abraham Lincoln gave the, the Emancipation Proclamation freeing the slaves. It became truth. It became law. You're
1: listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.